Atmosphere Church podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, uh, this is kind of the, the context of the series that we've been looking at uh, in Anxious for Nothing. And if you are brand new to our church, we've talked about this for the last two weeks, and, and we're finishing up the series uh, this uh, today uh, with this message. And we want to talk about this because this is an epidemic in our culture right now. If you are not struggling with anxiety, you know somebody personally that is. Sociologists are calling our era the age of anxiety. And so we want to talk about this, not just because it's a problem in our culture, but we believe that God has given us a remedy for a lot of it. And so we're going to look at some scriptures and we're going to unpack this. And hopefully when you leave this place, you will realize that God wants you to be an overcomer on every aspect of your life, especially in the area of your anxiety. So let me pray this. Father, I thank you so much for how you already moved in our first gathering, how you're going to move in this gathering. God, prepare our hearts and our minds to receive those things that you want to plant inside of us so that we could be changed, so that we could be healed, and so that we could be restored to the people that you've called us to be in on this planet. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 4, it says this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love the fact that the Bible talks about being anxious. This isn't a, a new human problem. This isn't just an epidemic with our culture. We've been struggling with anxiousness from the very beginning of humanity. So it's awesome that the Bible is saying, hey, let, let's talk about this for a minute. But it, this is so much easier said than done. Be anxious for nothing. I mean, honestly, how many of you this week have been anxious for nothing? You've really been anxious for a couple of you. Good job. But even if I unroll that and say, how many of you haven't been anxious this month? And maybe even bigger than that, how many of you have been anxious or haven't been anxious this year? Anxious kind of pops up. And we've talked about this as a, anxiety is a form of worry, stress. Uh, it's it's this unknown thing that kind of creeps up and it just kind of freaks you out. And in a way, fear is a good thing to have. Matter of fact, God gave us that, that emotion to kind of protect or preserve our lives. So fear in some context is a good thing. Like the other day, this is probably last summer, we had an alarm in, in our house where we used to live 
and the alarm was going off when we got home and we weren't notified by the police that the alarm was going off. We just opened the door and the alarm was going off. And we thought, well, this isn't normal. It's never happened. I've had alarm for years. And I know y'all don't need alarms here, I guess, but um, where I come from, you need an alarm in your house. And so it's going off and Tara and I are, are, are trying to like figure out like what is happening and, and I have a firearm that's locked up in my room, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to get to my room, but what if they're in my room? What if they have my firearm? And, and, and so I'm like, I guess I've watched too many drama shows on TV, and, and so I'm like thinking, what am I going to do? And, and so I didn't want to call the police just yet, and so I'm like walking in there real slow. I told Terry, go stay at the door, you know, in case you hear something, you can call, you can get away. And, and so I, I'm, I'm just sneaking up, and I get to our master bedroom, and then I'm like, what do I do? So I, I go to my son's room, and I grab like one of his trophies, and I'm thinking, I'll, if they're in my bedroom, I'll like throw the trophy and they'll think it's somebody, and if they have my gun, they'll shoot the trophy, and then I'll know, like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> so I'm like sneaking on the floor, my heart is racing, kind of sweating a little bit. I'm like wide awake. You know, in those moments, like fear is a good thing because it, it's, it's heightening your senses so that it can preserve your life. But, but then there's these like irrational fears that just kind of pop up into our life. Fears that, that really, don't make any sense. Like when we had our kids at our old house and they were quite smaller, uh, we took our kids swimming a lot. We had a swimming pool. And Mackenzie, one of my daughters, had this irrational fear that at night somehow the deep end was full of sharks. Now, during the day, she would swim and go in the deep end, and everything was fine. But at dark, like, we had the light in the swimming pool and everything. She was like, I'm not going in the pool. I'm like, Kenzie, why? We're going to have fun. It's a night swim. It's going to be good. She goes, no, there's sharks in there. I go, but you were just swimming in there a couple hours ago when the sun was out. She goes, yeah, but they come up in the drain when it gets dark. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm talking to Kenzie and saying, do I have your permission to share the story of your irrational fear? She goes, yes, and let them know that I still kind of have that fear. <laughs> it really makes no sense. So we, we kind of all can relate to fear. We can all relate to worry and stress. But, but then it can kick in our lives to such a degree that we kind of feel like we get stuck in it sometimes. Like, like it, it gets a stronghold on us. And it starts taking control. This is what I believe is the spirit of fear that the Bible talks about. I haven't given you this verse yet in the series, but this is a really strong verse that if you don't have highlighted in your Bible or you don't have written down somewhere, you need to. Because this is how God is, is trying to lead us through the space of anxiety. It says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Now, your translation may read discipline or self-control, but the just is this, that fear can grab a hold of you and take control of you to where you stop experiencing the power, love, and sound mind that he's called you and created you to live with. That it just starts plaguing you. And not, pretty soon, it's not just your emotions, but everybody's emotions around you. And nobody is immune to this. That's why we've been talking about this guy named Elijah in the Old Testament who was one of the most godly men that we read about in the Old Testament. I mean, he did all kinds of miracles. 
But Elijah has this, really this, this encounter with anxiety that turned into depression to where he actually wanted to die. Like, anxiety can get a hold of you so strongly that it can just suck all the life out of you to where your only thought is, I just want to leave this God-forsaken planet. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Now, Elijah got there for, for several reasons, but as we've been looking at, there were three factors that are really strong that were moving in his life that I believe set him up to experience this anxiety that he got hit with. And, and we read about this in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. And I, I'm not going to reread the story, but I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of these factors that really contributed to his demise. There were exhaustion, and then there was this isolation, and then there was this last thing, this distortion. It, it was a, a part of his thinking that was an irrational thought. And he actually got in such a dark space with his circumstances that he started believing lies about the reality of his trouble. And that's what happens to a lot of people that get stuck in their anxiety, that get stuck in their depression. They start believing this narrative as truth, which is actually a lie. And the narrative that Elijah was believing is that he went through the season where he, where he was kind of against the queen of Israel. Her name was Jezebel, and she was this mean lady that was killing all the prophets of God, and, and Elijah was threatened by her, and she said, I'm gonna kill you, dude. And so he leaves town. He's all by himself. He's talking to God, and he tells God, I'm all by myself. No one else is left. I am it. And I feel all alone right now. But that wasn't the truth. And actually, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Roman church, and he says a quote here, and he reminds us of the story of Elijah and how Elijah was being deceived and lied to in his own brain. It says this, it says, in Romans 11, verse 2 through 4, it says, Do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? It's, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. The God that was being worshipped in the land. So here... Elijah was believing a narrative that was a lie, but he was, he was considering it as truth. There, there was distortion. And even in psychology, the idea of cognitive distortion is a reality that really propels all kinds of people into anxiety and depression. And, and by definition, cognitive distortions are simply ways that our mind convinces us of something that isn't really true. These inaccurate thoughts are usually used to reinforce negative thinking or emotions, telling ourselves things that sound rational and accurate, but really only serve to keep us feeling bad about ourselves. See, what it does is it creates negative thoughts. I call it stinking thinking. 
And have you ever had a thought cross your mind and you're just like, I, I know this is true, but, but I, I, can't, I, I can't stop wrestling with it. It's just in my mind, and it's just playing over and over like a, a, a broken record that's just skipping and, and something that is just repeating over and over and over again. And this happens for a lot of people. Even if you don't experience anxiety and depression, chances are you have come up against a, a time where your mind was full of toxic negative thinking that was actually heavy and, and causing all kinds of weird emotions inside of you. And I believe it's these toxic negative thoughts that lead us into spaces of worry. And it's those worries that really lead us into uh, strongholds of anxiety. Now this is what I love about scripture is that even though we have Philippians telling us that we are to be anxious for nothing, and that God has peace for us, Jesus actually circles the talk of worry. And he devotes a lot of verses in our Bible to talk about worry. Matter of fact, this is found in the context of a sermon. It was called the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached that was recorded in the Gospel of Matthew from chapters five through chapter seven. And right in the middle of it, Jesus goes on a tangent talking about worry. What I love about this is that we a lot oftentimes think that worry is a new problem when in reality, people in Jesus' era were struggling with worry and Jesus said, I have an antidote for you. God doesn't want you living in worry and so he's setting people free by telling them this. You can follow along with me on the screens, but it says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his day? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own isn't it comforting to you that Jesus calls out that every day we live, we have trouble? Every day you wait, it, it, it might be little trouble, but it could be really big trouble. But most of the stuff that we are concerned about that worries us, that we get fearful of, never even materializes in our life. This is why Jesus is speaking. A study was done back in 2015 looking into how many of our imagined calamities never materialize. In the study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. 
Lo and behold, it turns out that 85% of what subjects worried about never even happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than they expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. Now, as people of God, how many times have you looked back at the thing that you thought was going to take you down, God actually used to lift you up to a new level of your faith? I mean, he is the master of taking bad things in your life and turning them into blessings. He takes ashes and makes beauty from them. He turns mourning into dancing. So God never wastes a hurt or an experience. So even if you go through that thing, when God is with you, he will turn that thing on its head and actually make that the best thing that could have ever happened for your life. That's one of the many benefits of having this amazing relationship with God that we're able to have. But I like this. We overestimate the actual danger and we underestimate the power of God's goodness. We overestimate the danger that is lurking all over the place, and we underestimate God's goodness. See, here's the crazy thing about Elijah's story. The thing that he feared the most never even happened. He was scared that Jezebel was going to take his life, and that never happened. Matter of fact, Elijah never even died. It says that some whirlwind from heaven took him, I don't know, tornadoes, there goes Elijah. He didn't even taste death. I still want to know how that went down. I hope that God has like a movie for us to watch or maybe we can see it in real time. I don't know, but that's crazy. The thing that is keeping you up at night statistically is probably not even going to materialize and all it's doing is robbing you of the peace that God wants you living in. One of your biggest testimonies of your relationship with God is gonna be the peace that he's given you to not just live with, but to walk in. See, as you follow Jesus, peace ought to be following you. But for most of us, as we're following Jesus, anxiety is following you. And we have to pause and we have to say, well, what is this? How do we stop ourselves from being overcome by stinking thinking? How do we, how do we just pause and, and stop drowning in this negative thought pattern that maybe we have, we have kind of accustomed ourselves to always thinking? And, and I, I wanna unpack that for you this morning because right in the next verse in Philippians chapter four, check this out. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. Here's verse eight. Here it is. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, the New American Standard uses the word dwell. And, and I like both of those words equally. But I like the word dwell in the sense that you can't stop yourself from having thought bubbles come into your head. You, you can't. You're going to be living out your day, and you're just going to have negative thoughts that, that come in your mind. But here's the difference. You are the one that controls what thought bubbles actually land and you actually dwell on. You control that. See, my dad, as a profession, was an air traffic controller at the Bakersfield Airport. And I don't know if you've ever 
kind of known somebody that was an air traffic controller, highly stressful job, but they're navigating the planes and giving them clearances to take off and land. And see, I want to tell you something, that you are the air traffic controller of the thoughts that enter into your mind. You are the one that has the full control of which ones that you give clearance to land and which ones you tell, keep on going. I don't want you, I don't need you, and you are toxic for my soul. So how, how do we fix our thoughts? How, how do we dwell on the right thoughts? I, I want to give you some, some weapons this morning that are going to help you to fix your thoughts or to dwell on the thoughts that are actually going to be beneficial for your life and, and stop and, and allow you to overcome the stinking thinking. Write this down. Here's the first weapon, and that is turn up the voice of God in your soul. So somewhere in your soul, there's a volume button. And have you ever been listening to a TV and, and you... you are in a room and everyone starts talking and there's something on TV and they were just so rude and they came in and started having a conversation and you're just like, I'm trying to watch this. And so what do you do? You grab the remote control and volume up, volume up, all the way until that volume of the TV is now drowning the other conversation. See, one thing you need to know, because you live in a broken world, because you live in a place that is dominated by the devil, by our adversary, the Bible calls him our accuser. Jesus calls him the father of lies because we live in this place where the lies are being given to us, where the accusations are, are, are being thrown at us, where we are living in this place of, of things opposing us. We need to know those voices aren't going anywhere. So you can't just all of a sudden hit mute on those voices. What you have to learn is you have to learn to flip the volume up so that God is so loud you no longer hear the voice of the accuser or the adversary or the lies that are already floating around you. You gotta turn the volume up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you gotta turn the volume up. Just say, you gotta turn it up. I think there's, there's something to be said when, when Jesus is called by the Apostle Paul. He's our advocate. He's our advocate. Because when Jesus was here, he used this terminology 78 times in the Gospels where he says, I tell you the truth. So Jesus, when he was here in his earthly ministry, he went around and he declared truth wherever he preached. And the reason he went out of his way to say, I tell you the truth, because he knew that the world was being bombarded with lies, with deception, and that people were buying into it, and people were living by it. And so he was undoing the lies by replacing it with truth. And one of the biggest ways that you are going to turn up the volume of God's voice in your life is you are going to cling to the voice of truth in your life. And how do you do that? Well, primarily you do it through the written word, the Bible. That is God's voice to you. And every day you're in it, what you're doing is you're giving that voice another platform to be able to be louder in your soul than the voices of all those other noises that are in your life and around your life. Another tool that you have is worship. And sometimes, I mean, some of the best 
times of my own journey with God is I throw on some headphones and I just turn up my Spotify worship playlist and I just absorb these songs that are declaring the goodness of God, that are declaring the promises of God. Because see, in this world, sometimes the voice of the accuser, the voice of our enemy, the voice of our adversary gets so loud that I forget the goodness of God. I forget the promises of God. But some good worship, and I turn it really loud, because the louder it is, the more anointed it is, I feel, you know? So, so I'm listening really loud. Pretty soon Tara's trying to talk to me. I'm like, what? What are you saying? I, I can't hear because why? The praises of God are so much louder than any noises that are going on on the outside of me. So you have the word. You have, you have praise music, but you also have people in your life. Last week we talked about connection and the power of connection. But have you ever had a moment in your life that you were in some really dark, deep, negative thinking, some real stinking thinking going on, and then you get a random text from a bro at church or a sister in your life group, and they tell you something like, God just put you on my heart right now, and, and I just feel like I'm supposed to give you a verse that, that God is for you, and if God is for you, who can be against you? How, how many have ever received a text message or a phone call at, at your, your darkest hour that just helped set you free? Come on, look at these hands going up. I'm telling you. There, there's a side benefit of, of this message point right here in the fact that God wants to use you to silence the voice of the enemy in somebody else's life. He's equipped you and empowered you to be loud so that the other person stops listening to the lies. And I, I've been on the, the receiving end where I'm in a dark space and I'm thinking the world is caving in on me and, and I'm discouraged and I'm in a place where I just, I want to give up, I want to quit, I just want to go do something else and that encouragement comes in. I'm telling you, these are ways that we don't silence the voice of the accuser. We don't silence the voice of the adversary. We don't silence the father of lies, as Jesus calls him, but we simply learn to turn the volume of God up to another level. If you ever watch Spinal Tap, you turn it to 11, baby. <laughs> I turn it to 11, and, and that's the best, all right? If you watch Spinal Tap, you know, you know, you know. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah, dude. Hello, Cleveland. All right. Here. Here's, here's what I want to declare to you right now. I, I just feel in this moment, I, I need to speak some truth to you. Because you have your adversary, he's speaking to you. And, and I, want to, I want to declare to you what your advocate, what Jesus declares to you, what he says to you. Your adversary says you're not enough. Your advocate says you are more than enough. Matter of fact, you are more than a conqueror. Your adversary says, you've messed up. Your advocate says, I forgive you, and you are forgiven and walk in that forgiveness. Your adversary says, you can't do that. Your advocate says, you can do all things through me who gives you the strength to do it. Your adversary says, no one loves you. Your advocate says, you are so loved that I actually gave my own life to save yours. Your adversary says, you're a mistake. Your advocate says, you are my masterpiece created for my good works. Your adversary says, there's no way out of this situation. Your advocate says, with me all things are possible. Your adversary says that you are to be pulled down, and I'm telling you, God is saying here, I want to lift you up. It's true. 
Just by declaring that, there's some people here, you've been set free from some stinking thinking simply by me taking some time out of this message to remind you of the voice of truth that wants to be so much louder and so much clearer. This is what Colossians 3 verse 2 says. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. What, what I like to say about this is be intentional to tune in to more heaven for your life. Because distance creates distortion. And so if you're, if you're not intentionally putting yourself in a place where you're setting your mind on the things above, it's gonna be easy for the voice of your adversary to start triumphing over the voice of your advocate. Does that make sense? So be intentional on that. Number two is remove the negative inputs. There's some things that we have to just really take an inventory of some of the negativity that we are allowing into our life that is really hurting us, breaking free from the negativity that we wanna be free from. Matter of fact, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, we pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. That means that when I have a thought that doesn't line up with what my advocate says, I need to get rid of it. I, I need to kick it out. And there are sources that we are allowing into our life that are making it very difficult to get away from stinking thinking. And what research is telling us is there's three primary ways that negative thinking starts taking strongholds in our minds. The first one, and this is not gonna shock you, social media. And I told you three weeks ago when we started this series, I said 38% of people's posts are political or social activism in nature. That means there's a good chance that that post that that person put is gonna upset you. It's gonna already create this, this feeling of anger and rage and, and discontentment in your soul. And not all social media is bad. But if you are a person that really struggles with stinking thinking, you may wanna call yourself to a 30-day challenge of fasting from it and monitor your own well-being. Because hey, being off social media, you know, you might say, oh, there's no way I can do my job, there's no way I can function. Let me tell you, your soul is way more important than your job or any other part of your life. Because when your soul ain't right, my friend, nothing in your life is gonna be right. And so if, if social media is amplifying the negativity, then you need to figure out how you might fix that. You may, you may need to take 30 days and close down that app and say, I don't need to be on there. I will function well without it. Here's the second way, and that's turning off the news. So closing down the social media, but turning off the news. You, you know, I just was reading a report, 90% of what the news tells us is negative in nature. And, and the reason they do that, it's intentional because it's the negativity that brings you in as a, as a uh, consumer. They know that you're more likely to watch something negative than, than to watch the puppies at the end of the broadcast, you know? They, they're, they're trying to cheat you going, hey, it's, it's uplifting. No, they give you 30 seconds of puppy love, but they give you a whole, you know, 29 minutes and 30 seconds of negativity. That stuff stacks up. And it's hard to walk away from a lot of the things that we're hearing in the news to actually be this person that God wants you to be walking in his perfect peace. 
When you're surrounded by voices that are telling you everything in this world is negative. And I'm here to declare not everything in this world is negative. There is a lot of goodness happening on this planet. And the more that you walk with God, the more you are going to see that goodness firsthand. But some of us, we've got to turn that news off. I found myself a few years ago, I, every time I would sit down or getting ready just to kind of have some noise in the room, I would turn on one of these 24-hour news channels, and, and, and I just had these voices, and they're arguing and not getting along and telling us all this bad stuff. And I was like, why am I doing this? Because I, I feel like I need to stay relevant and know what's going on. You know what? If, if this is like hurting me, it, it does me no favors to know what's going on because then I'm not gonna be right. So I feel like I have a relationship with God where if God wants me to know something that's going on, he has other means of telling me what's going on without me having to absorb all of this negativity through the news. You turn it off. Here's the third thing, and this might be a little bit more difficult to deal with, and that, that's negative people that we've allowed into our inner circles. I'm, I'm telling you, some of you, as hard as it may be, you, you, you have some negativity that is really fueling the negativity in your own life. I, I believe panic is contagious. And, and so if you hang around a lot of negative people, they're always panicking, chances are you are gonna be in a panic state. And we're supposed to love everybody. But that doesn't mean you have to make everybody really close to you, make them your BFF. And, and there are some people that God is probably calling you to, to purge out of your life. And you don't have to unfriend them on Facebook and block them. You can, you can just simply say, they're an acquaintance, but, but I'm not gonna go out of my way to, to spend time with them. And I, I don't know if you know people like this. But they're just kind of always like, they come and, and you just kind of get down just when they start talking, like, how you doing? Oh, boy. Not really good. Uh, I, I call them, you know, the Debbie Downers. Sorry if your name is Debbie. Or the Negative Nathan. Sorry if your name is Nathan. But these people, it's like, oh, boy, let me just tell you, everything's broken. Everything's wrong. You know, the people that you're just like, man, just being around you makes me want to take a Xanax. Like, I, I don't even... Like, I, I can't do this. And, and, and please understand me. It's like God wants us helping these people, but that doesn't mean you have to spend every waking moment with these people. You, you have to surround yourself with positive people, people that are full of peace, because just like panic is contagious, I'm here to tell you that peace is contagious. And if you want more peace in your life, start hanging around people that peace follows them. And the more peace that you're hanging around, the more peace that you're gonna experience in your own life. Peace is contagious. But possibly you need to inventory your friends list. And if you have some people on social media that just are always spouting off negative. Just, I found that I, I don't have to unfriend them. I can just unfollow their, their little news feeds. I, I don't need to know every opposition that they're voicing their frustration against. For some reason, Facebook has now become a platform of complaining. I don't know why. But I'm just like, I don't need that. Here's the third thing, is give thanks regularly. And, and I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced, listen to me, I'm convinced that giving thanks is the antidote against anxiety. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And, and, I, and I don't wanna oversimplify a very complicated issue. 
But I'm convinced that if we give more thanks in our life, we will have less struggle with anxiety. Because here's what anxiety does. Anxiety amplifies all the things that are wrong in our life. Anxiety amplifies all the things that we don't have for our life. And what giving thanks does is it reminds our soul of all the things that we have in our life. It reminds our soul all the things that are right in our life. And I'm really, really upset at our culture because we are dissing Thanksgiving. I mean, we're rolling right from October, October 31st into Christmas. And anyone else feeling the unloved towards Thanksgiving? It's like, come on, man. This is a tradition. We can't skip it. I, mean, I love Christmas too, but, but we, we, just, we, need to, we need to honor this day. But see, as, as people of God, this isn't a day on a calendar. This is a way of life. God says, do you, you want to know my will for you? Check it out. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. I know right now there's trouble in your life that can just suck you in and that's all you can think about. But this is what I also know about your life. There's some good stuff happening. There's some good stuff happening for you and there's some good stuff happening around you. I mean, just the church that you're part of, that should get you being thankful. What God's doing in people's lives here at your church. And I know there's some problems that can just kind of focus your attention on that problem, but I'll tell you, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's right in your life right now. This is interesting. I was looking at another research project that was done by the Indiana University, and they conducted brain scans of folks suffering from anxiety and depression, and they gave them a challenge. They said, we want you to recall three things that you're grateful for every day for 21 days, and then we're gonna rescan your brain. And check this out. This is, this is scientific proof that by being thankful, these people actually rewired their brains. They got rewired by being thankful, by simply taking three things every day that they're grateful for and thankful for and declaring it to God, writing it in a gratitude journal and saying, God, I'm thankful for that. Let, let me ask you a question. Can you think of one thing in your life, right now, right now in this moment, can you think of one thing in your life that you're grateful for? Can you think of something that's right? Can you think of something that you have? Would you do me a favor? Would you just share it with the person sitting next to you? Just tell them one thing. You don't have to go into a whole list because some of you have a list, but give one. <laughs> give one. Just tell them one thing. <laughs> Worship team, come on up. Now, one thing, people, come on. One thing, one thing. All right. This church is too connected. Back up here, back up here. All right. So, so you, just by, by the, the conversation, there's a lot that you guys are grateful for. I'm, I'm telling you, your adversary is going to be relentless to continue to tell you all the things that are wrong and all the things that you don't have. But let the voice of truth, let the voice of your advocate declare to you that even though your anxiety surrounds you, your God is greater than that anxiety. And when that thing is surrounding you, God is surrounding that thing. 
And this is how we fight our battles. This is how we come against the anxiety that's coming against us. As we fight it back by declaring the goodness and the greatness of God, not just for our life, but for this world, that Jesus, he received victory over the ultimate thing of this world, and that is death. That he resurrected and he beat death so that we could live the resurrected life that God has always created us and called us to live. Do you want that resurrected life? Do you want to live in that peace? Do you want to silence the voice of the enemy? Because the only way you're going to silence him is you're going to turn the volume of God up so loud that you ain't even going to hear him anymore. Would you stand with me? I know some of you, you're like, this is the weird part of church I, I, I'm not comfortable with. Let, let me tell you something. One of the most powerful things that can set you free is declaring with your lips the goodness of God. And this is how we are arming you to fight your battle. Declaring the goodness of God and how much he has done for you, how much he's done for this church, how much he's done for our city, and how much he's about to do for our world. But wherever you're at, I just encourage you, take this moment and sing this song as our anthem for this series.
Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.